Chapter Six, Part One of Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water by Ethel Gwendolyn Vincent. Chapter Six San Francisco and the Yosemite Valley. I think we never felt more dirty or forlorn in our lives than on that bright morning when crossing the bay in one of the palatial Oakland ferry steamers, sitting in the deck saloon, we were surrounded by a crowd of smartly dressed Frisco ladies, particularly humiliated by the appearance of two of our fellow travelers in the cars in fresh morning toilettes. A bitter east wind was blowing in our teeth and raising the muddy waters of the bay into white horses and the town, with its straight lines running perpendicularly up the hill showing the division of streets into regular blocks, looked bleak and grey under the wintry sky. We could not help being struck by the wonderful precision with which they run these enormous ferryboats into a dock, fitted with exact nicety to their dimensions, rarely bumping against the floating piles which, however, give slightly to a pressure on either side as required. As your foot is set on the wharf, an army of hotel touts besiege you, ready to devour you in your small hand baggage, and it is with difficulty, and only after some display of firmness and decision, that you are allowed to select the natural choice of a first visit to San Francisco, the Palace Hotel. Rejecting the omnibus or large yellow coach, we took a carriage, to be as quickly as possible installed in a charming suite of rooms— all our possessions, from which we had been so long separated, once more gathered around us. Luxury again, after the four days of heat and discomfort in the cars. We have all heard so much, and for so long, of the palace, that it is hard to be disenchanted. When the hotel was first built, it was a marvel of magnificence. But since then, others, as beautiful, as gigantic, as costly, have sprung up, by the side of which its celebrity is paling. The arches and white pillars repeat themselves seven times, one above the other, round the four sides of the covered courtyard, and when lighted in the evening by the single pendant electric light, form a very brilliant and pretty sight. The attendance, as might be expected, is only moderate, increasing the feeling ever-present of being only a unit among the host of visitors. You have the option of the American or European system, and there is an excellent restaurant, but the courtyard, the piazza, the long corridors leading to the ladies' entrance and waiting rooms are filled with groups of men lounging and hanging about. It is, in fact, a general meeting place for the citizens, which renders it unpleasant for ladies. The rooms are not numbered according to floors, but the hotel is divided into blocks, called according to the street towards which it faces, and each block, with its separate lift and numbering, forms a house of itself. It may be mentioned in passing that the proprietor, Mr. Sharon, is at present defendant in a tremendous divorce case, which has been occupying the court and local press for the last eighty days. The leading counsel on either side is a colonel for the petitioner and a general for the respondent. We spent the afternoon in wandering about among the splendid stores, and in rehatting C, who was much reduced by the loss of one hat in the early days of our travels, and by the collapse of the remainder in the railway accident. 
at first surprised by the beautiful furs and sealskin paletots of the ladies we met in the streets we soon understood the wisdom of their winter wraps when at four o'clock we were driven home by the cold wind and raw sea fog hanging about the city sunday august twenty fourth palace hotel san francisco we arrived in church in time for the second lesson having met with a shake of the head and in one case an honest confession that he never went to church in answer to our inquiries for trinity church we made an unsuccessful attempt to reach cliff house by the cable cars in the afternoon an expedition there is the favorite sunday amusement you go out over the bleak downs across the edge of the cliffs to the small hotel where a few seals are to be seen disporting themselves on the rocks beneath sounding their monotonous bark or call the wind was blowing in our faces and the mist driving before us and at last as we seemed about to penetrate into a cloud which had descended on the further hill we called a halt as we were passing a return car we had seen part of one of the pretty suburbs that are san francisco's greatest attractions were the villas of her bonanza or railway king's centre men whose fortunes were made in the gold beds of the tributaries to the san joaquin and sacramento rivers barely forty years ago then san francisco was but a village of shanties which they called yerba buena or good hut and the hoodlum element predominated traces of which are still to be found but too frequently in many of the low quarters of the city not so very long ago it was necessary to carry a revolver about it was worn daily as a matter of course and an unintentional raising of the hand to the place where it was secreted might prove fatal causing an opponent to draw his under suspicion and in supposed self-defense there are many evident traces of the quick rise to wealth that has been the ordinary lot of the inhabitants of the city you notice it particularly in the extraordinary number of jeweler stores and the display of diamonds in the expensive upholsterers with their superb if gaudy furniture in the marvellous curios of chinese and japanese art that here find a ready sale disgusted with the climate of san francisco we fully expected to be told the usual story about phenomenal weather every one has observed how exceptional the weather generally is when they happen to visit a certain place but no we found it's the rule here for the bright sunny mornings to change to cold wind and sea fog in the afternoon throughout the summer months during the winter the climate is warm and equable and it therefore possesses the advantage of having no great extremes throughout the year monday august twenty fifth san francisco a morning of indecision angry agents each touting for their route a hurrying about from one office to the other the question under consideration was an expedition to the yosemite valley a telegram from new york confirmed the date of the thirtieth as the arrival of the mails and the departure of the pacific mail steamboat the australia for new zealand this left us exactly four days in which to carry out the expedition one and a half to go into the valley the afternoon there and two days to come out again i confess now that it is all over that it was a mad idea to think it practicable five years ago i had heard my first description of this wonderland and been seized with an unreasoning desire to see it all through the continent i had been hurrying and pushing on particularly towards the last chafing feverishly against the delays caused by our mishaps on the railways 
fearful lest time should fail us at the last for the Yosemite Valley. Was it to be so after all? It was just possible. My earnest entreaties prevailed, and we went. Miller, generally considered the popular agent, and supported by the powerful influence of the chief clerk of the palace, drew us out program number one, returning us to San Francisco on Saturday morning in time to catch the steamer. Walton, the rival agent, drew us out program number two, which possessed the advantage of bringing us back on Friday evening, the day before the departure of the steamer. Miller said Walton was underhorsed and undertimed. Walton read us out a letter from an Englishman praising his route and saying he had found Miller an unmitigated liar. We went to Miller's office, and as we turned the corner were pounced upon by Walton. This might have lasted out the day had we not trenched matters by deciding to go into the valley by Miller's route and come out by Walton's, who solemnly promised to stake his reputation on bringing us back on the Friday evening. I packed all our luggage in the morning in readiness to be sent down to the wharf, arranged our cabin boxes for the voyage, and, taking only handbags, we started on the expedition. Mr. Lee, a fellow traveler, and with whom we became friendly during the long days spent together in the desert at Grand Junction, came with us, to add greatly to our pleasure by his uniform Irish cheerfulness and imperturbable good temper, under the most trying circumstances. The first stage of the journey was made in the train, sleeping in the Pullman car, which was slipped at 11 p.m. and left standing on the rails all night. At 4 a.m. the next morning, we hurried across in the gray dawn to the inn opposite for breakfast. We looked critically at the coach and team of six horses that were standing ready at the door. The vehicle, perhaps, might be more properly described as a large red sherabank swung on leathern straps with a cover overhead. Later on in the morning, we blessed that cover, not only for its grateful protection from the sun, but for the support that its upright iron stanchions afforded us. We clung to them convulsively, for to say that we jolted and bumped would be to give no adequate idea of the violent exercise we went through. We collided with one another and slipped up and down the seat. We were thrown up in the air to come down again with a thud that jarred the whole system. In vain we grasped the front seat or clung round the iron standards, planting the feet firmly on the footboard, determined not to go up with the next bound of the coach. It was all to no purpose, and by the end of the first hour we were sore and aching, looking at each other in blank dismay with the knowledge of the seventy miles coaching to be gone through that day. I remember that it was our shoulder blades that suffered most, and that it was impossible to keep the air cushions we tried as a relief in their place. It was not the pitching of the coach, though we often saw it rise up above the leaders and then descend till the wheelers were visible again, that we dreaded, but the large stones over which the wheels passed with a relentless jar, which communicated itself to the whole nervous system. But the most trying thing of all was the dust, which under the twenty-four hooves of our six horses rose in clouds around us. Sometimes for a moment we were so enshrouded as to be invisible to each other, and then as it cleared off and we drew breath freely again, mouth and nostril were full of the fine sand which we tasted and smelt. 
it was too of a peculiar red color imparting its ruddy tinge to everything we wore in fact our things never recovered that expedition and for long afterwards notwithstanding the vigorous brushings which i gave with an unstinting hand on our return we used to detect its traces and say some of the yosemite dust a soft woolen shawl which we had with us absorbed such an immense quantity that it even now responds to a gentle shake by giving forth a little cloud of dust we used to arrive each night at our destination enshrouded in a film of the same and there was difficulty amongst the passengers in claiming their small hand baggage from amongst a pile of dust smothered luggage we began our journey by crossing over a flat plain and our curiosity was excited by a wooden aqueduct running parallel with the road we kept it in sight for many miles and never really lost it throughout the whole day passing it again late in the afternoon it was a plain or wooden trough constructed on a slight incline filled with a stream of water flowing at the rate of five miles an hour and down which lumber was floated a distance of seventy miles this ingenious contrivance is the means of utilizing much of the splendid timber that lies rotting in the mountain forests useless because of the enormous labor and expense of transporting it to the abode of man several experiments were necessary before the flume was perfected the v-shape being adopted as it was found in the square troughs that the lumber in floating down would be driven transversely and so occasion a block we presently exchanged the prairie-like plain for a more hilly country abounding in a stunted undergrowth of dwarf oak cork myrtle and ilex trees freely interspersed with large masses of rock in such isolated positions that we could not help wondering how they ever came there the blue range of mountains that we were to cross later in the afternoon were becoming more distinct at a very early hour in the morning the sun had become powerful we were hungry after our five o'clock breakfast depressed at the prospect before us and by eleven o'clock when we made our first halt to change horses we had reached a pitch of great misery there were some tame rattlesnakes shedding their skins outside the inn and we were able to get a large cornucopia of sweet white grapes to refresh us the californian coach drivers are famed for their skillful driving they are hardly worked with four days a week driving continuously seventy miles but they receive high pay ranging from seventy to eighty dollars a month it is nice to watch their care and interest in the horses knowing the peculiarities of each one husbanding their strength and frequently stopping to water them from the iron pail that clanks in the boot behind they are well known on the road and it's amusing to hear their various merits discussed they need to be careful and experienced men when you think of the sharp corners turned at a hard gallop and the roads which for the most part are made overhanging the precipice more danger might be feared from the footpads or road agents as they are called who have frequently stopped the coach and robbed the mails this occurred only last year and no traces have ever been found of the robbers another three hours of growing discomfort brought us to the coarse gold gulch where we rested for luncheon we were received by the german daughters of the house in the cool trellised veranda covered with vines with long feather brooms and the outer layer of dust was prudently removed before we were allowed to enter the house 
we waited a weary while for the coach returning from the valley and when it did arrive it was comforting to see others in a condition as bad as ourselves to hear that we had got over the most scorching and dusty bit of road to be told of the glories of the valley by those still under its influence and to be given advice on the best way of spending our one afternoon there we discovered at once a passenger booked like ourselves for the australia mr davidson of edinburgh who proved in our subsequent journeyings together such a pleasant and intelligent travelling companion we began gently ascending again when we continued our journey for the most part through a shady ravine until we crossed what was apparently an outlying spur and began the tedious climb of the larger range at times the horses seemed hardly to make any progress and they crawled along with the coach lumbering and creaking after them then for the first time we saw specimens of the sequoia gigantea that wonderful genus peculiar to california presently we were passing through miles of its forests their purple and pink streaked stems straight and slim reaching to an enormous height before striking out into long branching arms which interlaced to form a feathery network against the sky this closely packed array of mighty giants stretching away into long vistas of upright stems in the dim distance gives one a feeling of being surrounded by conscious though inanimate beings they give a feeling of strength and repose increased by the stillness and silence of all around for the wheels move noiselessly over the thick carpet of fir needles and there is only a rustling murmur of the breeze in the pines overhead there are no singing birds here and the only sign of animal life is a ground squirrel darting across the road and scampering up the nearest tree here and there we emerged into sunlight from the cool depths of the forest to see the range of mountains forming part of the great coast range looking thin and hazy in the warm afternoon sun fire had wrought destruction amongst many of the trees leaving charred and blackened stumps decaying into curious and weird forms sometimes the trunks and branches scathed by the fire remain a beautiful silver gray in others the trunks would be completely hollowed and yet still able to support an immense framework above in one case i remember a pine was burnt through at the base hollowed out so as to form a perfect v-shape there appear to be two theories as to the origin of these forest fires some say that the trees fire themselves in the fall from extreme dryness the other which would seem the more probable that the mischief originates from a spark of the woodman's pipe or perhaps a brand left burning from the camper's fire there is no doubt that this is sometimes the cause of the terrible devastation wrought and it is no uncommon thing to see far away the blue wreaths of smoke curling up from the very heart of a forest that betokens one of these conflagrations it is very difficult to convey any idea of the gigantic height of the sequoias by simple measurement or figures but i know that many of them took root in the ravine so far below that we in the coach overhanging the precipice and leaning over could not trace their origin whilst the tops would just be on a level with the road but all this time we were toiling upwards and the shades of evening were beginning to close around us in gloom surrounded as we were by the dark pines we reached the top about six p m just one view of a grand white mountain 
with dark purple shadows lying on its jagged peak, touched with a few last rays of light, and we began a mad rush, wild and headlong, down into the valley in the gathering darkness. The horses swung round the zigzag turns at a gallop, the leaders all but over the precipice to allow of room for the remaining four, and for the coach to graze round the corner. Ten, twelve, fifteen miles an hour, the speed gradually increasing until breathless and unconscious, save of flying through the air. You gave up at last the anxious watch on the horses, and resigned yourself to the care of the driver. Mr. Lee, seeing my terrified face, tried to reassure me by saying, I have perfect confidence in the driver and in the horses, but hope the vehicle will hold together. Words that were hardly uttered when convulsively the driver was seen straining at the reins and trying to pull up suddenly. One of the powerful brakes had given way, and the horses, feeling the coach at their heels, were preparing to rush madly round the corner we were just coming to, when they were checked and we were saved. The wheel after that had to be dragged with a chain and straps, and we walked down the remainder of the way, a relief to our overstrained nerves. But the driver looked crestfallen on arriving at Clark's without the usual flourish round the circular drive, pulling up the streaming horses at the exact arch in the veranda opposite the door. We slept in the valley that night, guarded by the mountains on every side, with the sound of a gurgling stream in our ears, dimly seen by the light of the crescent moon. Wednesday, August 27th. We were off at six the next morning, which meant getting up at five, ascending the mountains, and soon many feet above our last night's resting place in the valley, looking at the lovely blue mist wreathing and curling up the opposite mountains, out of the dark shadows of the pine forests. We had a still, quiet morning among the giant forest trees and shady glades. Down their gullies trickled sparkling streams, burrowing underground and then flowing out again, forming tiny cascades over a few rocks and sprinkling the surrounding ferns with dewdrops. Some of them were so hidden that we only heard a rustling amongst the green bed by which we traced their course. Everything in nature could not help looking lovely on that bright morning, with the keen freshness of the early day yet in the air, and the sunlight peeping through the dark pines, to play in golden cobwebs on the brown carpet below. But again, we missed all sign of life in the absence of singing birds, and the stillness became almost oppressive. One of the most beautiful things in these forests are the bright green mosses that hang like lichens from the branches of the trees, looking most vivid against those that are blackened by the fire. The fir cones that lie on the ground in hundreds are remarkable for their perfect formation and great length, frequently attaining to a foot or more. All the morning we alternated in a slow and tedious progress uphill, and one of the quick rushes downhill, when we would accomplish in half an hour the same distance it had taken us three hours before to mount. But about twelve o'clock we emerged from the forest onto a level winding road, overhanging a terrible precipice on the one side, from which was a view unequaled in beauty and extent in all California. And this is saying something. For throughout these two days' drives we had been enjoying a series of superb and magnificent mountain scenes that taken singly would alone have been worth coming to see. 
but here was something that surpassed them all the valley at our feet was so deep that the eye became giddy in following the downward line of the vertical precipice of rock you followed the upward slope of dark green mountains rising on either side of the entrance of the valley till you gradually let the eye float away and away over the blue lines that each indicated a separate mountain range growing fainter as they reached the horizon this was the great sierra nevada range a more frantic and perilous rush than usual over a rough shingly road somewhat damped our keen lookout and eager expectation for the first sight of the longed-for valley till we drew up point-blank opposite a signboard inspiration point this is the most memorable incident in a visit to yosemite for in this first comprehensive glance you take an impression of the valley the one which is to remain always with you and for all time i think this valley ought to be counted as one of the wonders of the world and that this inspiration point ought to have a world-wide fame to see it should be counted as much an event in a man's life as to see naples and die i hope we were not like the gentleman who had written largely and felicitously on many subjects but who exclaimed as he reached this point my god self-convicted as a spendthrift in words the only terms applicable to the spot i have wasted on minor scenes but i know that we felt awestruck and stunned for a moment by the beauty before us we were on a platform that projected so that we saw ourselves hanging over the precipice just midway between the valley which seemed some immeasurable distance below and those strangely human rocks above six miles long but at no part broader than one mile the valley is simply formed of a cleft or gorge in one of the peaks of the sierra nevada it is full of gigantic sequoias dwarfed into ordinary fir trees when seen from this tremendous height we trace the green waters of the merced whose source is in the imperishable fields of ice and snow of some faraway peak in its wayward wanderings through the center of the flat valley. End of section one, chapter six.